0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by Speed of Sight, a motorsport charity providing track day and off-road driving experiences to blind and disabled people across the country. Please go to speedofsight.org to learn more. This episode is called No Smiling Please, We're Finished. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt?
3: Oh, it's going great. And welcome back from your bog in Cornwall. It sounded like such an adventure and it's definitely an upgrade on catching things on fire, I must say.
2: Yes, good to be back in the shed. I cannot tell you how impressed my wife was with the fact that I did a podcast while on a family holiday. Indeed, while stuck in a bog in Cornwall.
3: Is impressed really the right word for her reaction to this?
2: Oh, Lord, no. I was being horribly sarcastic. <laughs> she was not happy at all. But I can use the fact that we're Patreon supported as leverage to say, look, you know, this is an important thing. If it wasn't for the patrons, she definitely wouldn't see it as important enough to do as part of our holiday. Um, and also, I have to say, Matt, a big shout out to listener Mike, who sent us an old fashioned check in the post because he wanted to support our upgrades and i think we are definitely going to be upgrading your system we had a few problems with the live stream last week but your upgrade is fully in the works
3: yes and i would love much like max Verstappen, and to blame my problems entirely on my equipment but i gotta hold my hand up i routed a usb cable incorrectly and i think that's what borked all of the things my apologies but upgrades are on the way i am talking to people It's going to happen in the next, I'd say, 15 days.
2: Awesome. But Matt, we have got the Chinese Grand Prix to talk about today. And I cannot remember the last time we genuinely had six drivers who could have won today. Not like in Baku, because cars were breaking down and people were just smashing into walls. But there were six cars that had the pace and the strategy to potentially give them a race win on merit. And that is just fantastic. We've waited years for this.
3: Yes, horribly broken. Formula One, definitely.
2: No, it's been good. We are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. I'm also joined by Bradley Vettel smashing, race of champions thrashing, honest-to-goodness race car driving superstar motorsport icon, and all-round nice guy, Phil Pot. How's it going, Brad?
4: It's going really well. Thank you for having me
2: back. And for the second time in a row, we have Ferrari sympathizer Anil Palmar.
5: It's good to be here.
2: And making his debut, it's Nick Numbers Alexander. How's it going, Nick?
6: Very well. I think I should get a little R next to my name in parentheses for rookie.
2: We'll sort that out. Steve, could you get on that, please? Hello. Big thank you to the live stream for joining us today in the live chat. If you want to join them, go to YouTube, find Missed Apex Podcast, subscribe, click the little bell, and you'll get a notification every time we go live. Alright Matt, but before this locomotive steam train got going, the wheels came off. Literally.
3: Yes, they did literally come off uh, Stoffel Van Dorn's car, and that makes it a threefer with unsafe releases and race weekends. Not that there's any kind of a problem that FIA might ought to maybe be looking at.
2: Well, we got accused last week, and by we, I mean you guys after I'd gone, um, for kind of being a bit too much into the health and safety, Brad. Uh, but I won't apologize for liking safety, because... A death only has to win once. Unfortunately, we have to win every day. And I think if you've ever been in a dangerous environment, you you quickly want things to be safer, and you feel that the people who don't say that are just lying. But you have been a race driver and on track for a living. You know how did you take that accusation we got from a random YouTuber?
4: Um, I don't know exactly what he was referring to. I don't know exactly which part of our conversation it was. But my view is basically, I don't watch any motorsport um to to see people get hurt and a wheel coming off is something which is very, very dangerous. So it's um it's something that we should take seriously. And I hope I hope we I hope the governing body do something just to maybe maybe just keep tabs on that because it does seem like we're having too many of this particular issue.
2: Yeah, and it's not just the wheels coming off as well, is it Matt? We had the Ferrari guy having a shattered leg. Last weekend as well. It just feels like there's something about the pit stops where we've got to basically the limit now of what we can do with a, a pit stop in terms of time. So they're having to push things harder and harder and harder. Uh You know, dare I suggest just have the lollipop man there, have a physical stick. And they, then everybody knows that they've got to wait for this stick to go up before anyone can go.
3: I- It sounds like a great idea, but they had plenty of problems, even with the lollipop men. I think the answer uh, lies in the realm of pure mathematics Um, and and, uh, with, uh, dare I say it, uh, it Schrodinger? I can't remember now. But at any rate, the problem is what we need is an interlocking system that requires humans and technology. And in the case of Ferrari, we learned, or I learned at least, uh, sensor-wise the gun um, senses on off of the gun but not of the wheel and that's ultimately what caused the problem because he put the gun on the wheel didn't come off he took it off to try and see what the problem was and the gun then registered it had been on and off and the system assumed the wheel had been changed that's where the problem was so it's really more these types of things that need to be looked at carefully but that was actually a separate problem. Every other problem we've had is with, been with cross-threaded cross-threaded uh wheel nuts. And it may be that a certain minimum thread specification ought to ought ought to be um required by the FIA that is more resistant to that kind of problem.
2: Dakota C in the chat room says, Beyond safety, having a wheel nut be cross-threaded is just a lame way to end a race. Yeah, it's not the kind of spectacular racing conclusion we want to somebody's race weekend. Uh, M. Hilmi Fauzi. I feel like the pit stops during the race are generally slower. And we have seen teams like Haas, who've had that disastrous Australian Grand Prix, really seem to be quite deliberate with their pit stop and sacrificing uh, a half a second. But uh, to me personally, I'm not bothered if pit stops stop being a differentiator between teams race performance. Like if you had a mandated 10, 10 second pit stop or a mandated five second pit stop, that wouldn't
6: bother me.
3: It would bother me.
6: It would bother me also, but I think there is a way to appease everybody here. I think you can make the pit stops naturally take longer so that they are still a differentiator without imposing a minimum time that is so high that everyone can do it in exactly that much time. If you just took away some of the personnel in the pit stop, instead of having 12 people on the wheels, maybe you have six people on the wheels. It takes longer. It's still a differentiator, but there's more time for a human to say, clearly that wheel has not come off. Otherwise, he would have put it down, grabbed another one and ran to the front of the car.
2: Yeah, I think the problem is that it becomes like a drum beat. When it's that quick, it's car in, (laughs) go. So the guy on the button is kind of waiting for the pulse of the pit stop rather than actually seeing what's happening. Not that I'm an expert. We're we're just couch pundits though, aren't we? Uh, Matt, let's go on to actual qualifying itself because Ricciardo, the eventual race winner, nearly didn't make it. And this is a personal pet kind of, what do you call it, a pet passion of mine is you know how quickly things can be repaired, how quickly things can be changed and how much your car is available. And your car is much more available if they can, repair parts quickly and apparently they changed that engine an hour quicker than they've ever done it before now that's the kind of engineering competition that excites me they should have filmed that change
3: oh well it's even better than you think because in 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 classic gallic tradition i don't believe the backup engine was even fully assembled when the call came from uh, red bull uh, after the well shall we just call it a spectacular conflagration of daniel ricardo's turbo in FP3. And so they not only had to put the engine in, they actually had to scavenge parts to get a complete engine put all the way together. And here's the thing. The first qualifying session started and with a little over two minutes left on the clock, he actually made it out into the session. If that had not happened, the entire race would have had a completely different character to it.
2: All right, then. We've got two Ferrari sympathisers on this panel now. We've got Nick Alexander and Anil Palmer. Anil, you've had to watch Mercedes dominating and locking out front rows since, actually since 2013, even though that pace would disappear uh, in the race. But like 2013, they were like a second ahead of everybody on qualifying. must be nice to see Ferrari really, really competitive, especially on the qualifying tyres.
5: It is, but it's also quite nerve-wracking because I just expect in Q3, Hamilton to get pole. So it doesn't matter how good it looks. It's it's only on the on those final laps when I see Raikkonen do a good lap. And I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen here? Um, and again, Seb pulled out the bag. Clearly, the car is very good over one lap. And previ- if you look over previous years, they've struggled in qualifying a lot. I remember when Alonso was there, that was not a good qualifying car. They just couldn't heat the tyres up properly.
2: Yeah, so Matt, it is down to tires, isn't it? That Mercedes, it seems like it just can't turn on the very softest tires in cooler conditions.
3: Well, it's not even just in cooler conditions. In general, they seem to be outside of um, Australia. They seem to be really struggling with getting the tires where they need them to be to be as fast as they feel like they ought to be. I, I, I would say, you know, even today, uh, I don't think Mercedes had quite the pace you would have expected from them. Uh, based on what they showed in Australia.
2: Anil, you and me have got a little bet about who will do better over the course of the season, Renault or Force India. Now, I will say in my defense that it started by me kind of counteracting the fact that you said Renault would be right in there in a title hunt about two years ago. And I gave you a very generous bet to say that I thought Force India would beat them. But it is looking good for your side of the bet in quali with Hulkenberg finishing seventh nearly every race.
5: I did not say they would be in the title fight, span. <laughs> you said it in like
2: 2015. I think I, my, I've got a pretty good eidetic memory, so you know.
5: Right. Okay. I was gonna. Oh, I'm gonna get you back for that one day. Um, I will say Holkenberg seems to always qualify P7. I think his last seven qualifying sessions, he's qualified P7. So he's become the best of the rest. Uh, which is which surprised me because Carlos Sainz was always rated as quite a good qualifying driver it just seems as though Hulkenberg has the measure of him.
2: And finally, Bradley Philpott, you've been telling me that Mercedes, sorry, McLaren, are going to win every race this year and get all the girls and win all the trophies. How did they do in qualifying?
4: Look, I never specified which season this would happen, and I was very careful about that. Um, McLaren have been uh, obviously a little disappointing, very disappointing, but have fortunately scored some points, haven't they? So they've kind of at least got some scores on the board. What disappoints me most about McLaren is how far off Van Dorn has generally been of Alonso's performances. I know he finished right behind him in Bahrain, but um, it's I want to see them both up there because I just get this feeling that actually the car is even worse than it looks and Alonso is just dragging it into really good positions, or or half decent positions.
2: Do you think last year he was thinking, "What's the point? This engine's just going to blow up anyway." Whereas this season he's got a sniff of it. So what we're seeing is Fernando Alonso with a bit between his teeth.
4: Yeah, he. I mean, I think he's actually had the bit between his teeth even last season. Um, but this season it feels like he's not just going to get driven past down the straights. Although they do still have terrible top speed, don't they? So but yeah I think he's enjoying himself a lot more certainly I'm very impressed by how happy the guy seems after each race he must he must be optimistic that the car will improve and be confident in McLaren's ability to develop or he's just really looking forward to getting in that Toyota
2: not bad for a pay driver eh Bradley let's move on to the race though ah let's bring it back with some chill jazz from Matt Trumpets.
3: oh I've missed this
2: bumper do like it so let's go to matt trumpets now because it was one heck of a race why don't you tell us where the race was won and lost because it was won and lost all over the place if that makes any sense
3: yeah it, it was it's interesting it's a lot of things all came together um but critically the ultimate determiner of the finish had to be uh, verstappen on lap 37 and his, uh, his, his little his little pas de do with Hamilton. That set the end of the race up. But before we get there, we had to look at the very beginning where, contrary to your expectations, uh, it was Verstappen with the very good start and getting around uh, Hamilton and Raikkonen. And contrary to what you might believe, it was Hamilton also with a decent start, but very much held up when, when Vettel, who did not get the greatest of starts, chopped in on his teammate, Kimi reacted to that, lost a little bit of traction in turn two. And Hamilton, who had done well enough to be sort of partially alongside him, had to go outside to avoid him and slow down. That opened the door for Verstappen. And the moment that happened, the die was cast.
2: Bradley, have you noticed that Hamilton is being generally cautious? I think we we touched on it last week. But with more to lose, he's kind of gone too much the other way? Because last week he dived out of the way of Magnuson. This week he's kind of yielded to Raikkonen and then complained that, oh, he was, he didn't say too aggressive. He said he was very aggressive. Have you noticed the change in his, his, he's never been an, an amazing starter, has he?
4: I absolutely have noticed that change. Um, it's something that I commented on uh, in the last podcast. And I think he's even commented on it himself in interviews. Um, it does seem like he's playing the long game. It is a really long championship and there are just so many more points to be won throughout the season i don't think he's i don't think he's going for that instant gratification of i have to win this race right now i think he i think he's being relatively sensible it just when you've got opportunistic drivers around you that are willing to to grab those positions immediately at the start it is making his life difficult as well and he wouldn't be in this such a difficult position if he was out qualifying his teammate
2: But he's not. But yeah, so last week, he was mixing it up with Magnussen, who absolutely gives zero zero consideration for other people around him because he is just fully looking out for himself. And then actually in this race, you had into turn two, the likes of Hülkenberg, right up in the tail exhaust of Hamilton. So that's the company he finds himself in if he doesn't qualify properly. Uh, But Matt, going into that first part of the race, even though Verstappen had got himself into third, I still felt that at that point, the Red Bulls were just a blip. They were making a nuisance of themselves. We were looking at the forecast from Ferrari and Mercedes, and we were looking at the pace between Bottas and, uh, and Vettel. Now, how did you see that? Because I felt that if Vettel had the pace, it is entirely within his MO and Ferrari's tactics to have disappeared 8, 9, 10 seconds up the road if they could have done. The fact is, that gap went to 2.5, and then it stayed between 2.5 and 3 seconds for that entire first stint.
3: Yeah, and and that was how I saw it too. Uh whatever speed Vettel was going, uh Bottas was matching. And to me, the interesting thing was a lot of the TV commentary were blaming Verstappen for Hamilton losing upwards of 10 seconds, but the reality was Kimi was hanging very far astern of him and it looked to me like he was already trying to do a little extra damage to Lewis's race. At the expense of his own.
6: Nick? Yeah, so I'd just like to point out Vettel's starting strategy, how he lined up pointing towards Kimi on the grid and immediately moved right to squeeze him out.
0: Yeah. I mean, that
6: clearly was not a very good decision. I mean, just to state the obvious, maybe if he hadn't have done that, he still would have stayed out in front of Kimi, and then Kimi would have been between him and Bottas. So we we all ask, like, how was the undercut possible? um you know how fast did he go on his lap after he pitted etc how slow were the stops but it, i think really all the way back to the to the launch to the very start i think sebastian opened that door by choosing to cover off kimmy instead
2: yeah that's a weird one anil you're a am i right that you're a Kimi raikkonen fan like you're still holding out hope
5: yeah i'm hoping that he just wins one more race before he retires fanners
2: oh really is that what it is so um how do you see their relationship there because i've we kind of have the perception sometimes that he's complicit in this number one, number two scenario. But if Vettel's being that aggressive on him, do you think Vettel sees him as a threat?
5: Well, I think it's fairly clear that Ferrari just said whoever leads into turn one gets the best strategy. Uh-huh. And because the racing line at China goes across the track, being on the clean side isn't necessarily a big advantage. I think Seb knew he had to cover cover Kimi off. I agree with what Nick said. That cost him um, the ability to have you know Kimi hold at Bottas. The only reason why Bottas went around the outside was because Kimi had to lift off massively because of Seb.
6: I find it hard to believe that Ferrari would say whoever is leading gets the preferred strategy. Yeah. I, I I just can't believe anything but Seb is number one regardless of track position. I'm much more inclined to believe that he was afraid of the legitimate pace that Kimi's had the start of the season for whatever reason. Um Yeah, I I just disagree, I guess.
2: That's funny, isn't it? Like everyone's, you know, the the pace he's had, like everyone's scratching their heads like Either why is that or or where has that been for the last several years? Because it's it's not something we've really seen, Nick.
6: Well, I wonder if he's just maybe trying to go out on a high note, retire this year, um, remembered a little bit more fondly. Uh, Yeah, well, I'm struggling with that. Go on, Anil. I think it's the tyres.
5: He likes a car with a very strong front end, and I think he's finally got like tyres that have a lot of grip, which is why he's suddenly so quick and qualifying again. Um, in, in previous seasons, the tyres have been much harder, and he's just struggled to get it to do what he wants. Kimi's a very one-dimensional driver. If the car doesn't do what he wants, he, he doesn't care. He'll just <laughs> drive quite slowly with them on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> in fact, I think Hamilton might be a little bit like this as well. will go into this a little bit later, but I think Hamilton does that as well. He is flat-out top gear, and if the car is not quite behaving, Hamilton's like, no, I still want to do the race and the aggression and the strategy I want to do, and then that will cost him that time. So I think that might go some way to explain what was going on in qualifying this week, like not driving around a bad car, but I'm getting distracted and sidelined. But what we should be talking about is that early part of the stint, Matt, where we thought the strategy was going to play out then between the two Ferraris and the two Mercedes. But then these Red Bulls, when they are in the race, they have a habit of doing this. They have a habit of rolling the dice early and forcing the other teams into decisions.
3: Right. And it's important to know that they started on a different compound of tire to Ferrari and Mercedes. They were on the ultrasofts. They were never going to last. But they did get them round to lap 17. But what they did do because of the separation between Verstappen and Ricciardo, was they double-stacked the cars. They didn't actually stack them. They were able to get them in and out one after the other, but they pitted them both on the same lap, lap 17. And it was Hamilton coming in the following lap because he had just cleared Magnussen from his pit window that first answered that call.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, do please continue with the story of the race, Matt. I wasn't distracted by the chat room at all. Let's see what anil has got to say.
5: Right. So these ultra-soft tires, we were told that they wouldn't last more than, like, five to ten laps yet. The Red Bulls, what, did 17-odd laps at a good pace? Matt, why why did they turn out to be so good on race day? Because in my head, I thought the Red Bulls were just going to fall back after five, six laps, make an early pit stop, and may, maybe come into it at the end. I did not expect them to be up there with the top top four as long as they were.
3: Well, I didn't either. I really expected them to start losing pace, but I think what you're up against also is both the fuel requirements and the lift and close save the engine mentality of those on the tires running longer. So, so I don't think Vettel or Bottas or Hamilton, if he was capable of it, were really running at a at a pace that would have taken it out of those tires. They were able to protect them and stay in touch enough. I mean, you did see the difference, and you definitely noticed Max starting to lose time, and that's why they did come in on lap 17.
6: So I'd I'd just like to say that I'm happy. Sometimes as Formula One fans, it seems like no matter what happens, we're not happy. I'm happy that Max, for whatever reason, was able to stay out as long as he did on the ultrasofts, and then he came out, and he was quick on his fresh set, which forced Botas to pit, and I'm just happy that... Red Bull is influencing the strategy of the two teams ahead of them, which is what we've been clamouring for for the better part of two years, probably.
5: Yeah, we've said on this podcast before the importance of having a third strong team, not necessarily because six drivers have a chance of winning every weekend, but just so that Hamilton, Vettel, Raikkonen are looking over their shoulder and thinking, oh, we're we're vulnerable to an undercut.
2: Yeah, so even a one-stop race, a boring one-stop race, which it might have been, actually turns into quite a tactical event. Now, Matt, how, how did you see it? Because I, I think that when it came to that first stint, when they knew they were going to, sorry, when they, Mercedes, knew that Bottas was going to cover off the Red Bulls, they were they said, push, push. They, there was nearly a three-second gap there, yet Bottas came out ahead with just a one-lap undercut. Don't tell me there's a three-second genuine undercut delta that accounted for Vettel losing the lead. There must have been more.
3: Uh, generally, I think the undercut's around one and a half to two seconds. If you get inside of two seconds, you're definitely considered to be in undercut territory. And as happens, um Ferrari did a very careful pit stop with Vettel, which cost them about, about almost a full second in and of itself. Not that it was slow, but it was about 2.3 to 3.1, I think, in that ballpark. But also, I believe the uh, Mercedes has long been a fan of the medium tire, and I think they had more pace in it than Ferrari perhaps expected. And you put those two things together, and that extra lap Vettel was out. Pretty much accounts for the time that uh, Valtteri was able to
5: gain. You say Ferrari had a bit of a, a careful pit stop. Do you think that was in? Do you think that was in relation to what happened last week? Do you think that in the back of their minds, they were just thinking? oh, we can't get this wrong. Let's just make sure this goes on a bit easy. You know, this new guy, he's not put a wheel on before. Let's just make sure it goes well. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. So then, so then, Matt, we come out of that first stint, and actually it looked a little bit hairy for Bottas. He looked like he had struggling with the right rear. Um, He had Verstappen, uh, sorry, Verstappen. He had Vettel closing in on him. But then they also had a much slower Kimi Raikkonen ahead on used tyres.
3: Yeah, and and that was a thing. At that point, you thought, oh, Ferrari, there they go again. They're going to leave Kemi out on these tires forever and use him to back uh, Botas into, there you go, live stream, uh, use him to back Botas. Botas directly into Vettel, which is exactly what happened. And the only problem for Ferrari was we didn't just get the feeble, half-hearted passing attempt out of Botas. We also got a, I'm going around you on the outside into turn one Botas, which Kimmy may have seen coming but lacked the grip to do anything about.
2: What did you think of that overtake with Bottas on Riken? Obviously there was a tyre delta but he had kind of a failed lunge before that as well. I know we were talking about Bottas's attitude to overtaking and being overtaken on the last show.
4: Yeah, I think I was actually typing um, in our WhatsApp group that Bottas seems to keep going for half-hearted overtakes. You know, he goes for a look but that's not really good enough and as I was sending it um, I saw him sending it on around the outside of turn one, um, and I was quite impressed. I thought he was, I thought it was quite a brave move to do um, because you know he could have waited and probably would have got him a, a, the following um, couple of corners. But he did it and he made it stick, and he was he was showing some kind of aggression that we don't see often from him. So uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see more as uh, as the season goes on.
2: So then that set us up basically for Bahrain part two but with it reversed, with Bartas now defending from Vettel. But it was ruined, Bradley, by Red Bull's very, very sneaky plan, obviously inspired by Haas in um, in Australia being ordered by their senior team to cause a safety car. Now Red Bull, they went, that's a good idea. That's a good idea, Matt. That's what they did, isn't it? They said, Toro Rosso, if you two guys could just, just, you know, you're a rookie, Gasly. No one will turn a, a, an eye if you just break late into that hairpin. Boom, safety car, Red Bull already. I
3: thought we were saving this for a conspiracy corner, but okay, we can go there. You want to talk about the Toro thing. It is exactly what you would expect with two rookies on the track for you. And I know they drove at the end of last season, but I'm still going to call them rookies because frankly, they look like they should be going to high school with my daughter, as far as I can tell. And and they've just really not had a lot of uh, experience in Formula One. And so here's the story. And it looked very bad for Pierre Gasly. In fact, it looked so bad for him, he got a penalty for what he'd done, which is just basically chuck it up the inside, drive directly into his teammate, and spoil everybody's race except for a certain Australian. And Um, the viewers. And the reality of that is that Hartley had told the team he was going to give the position to Gasly in that turn, turn 14. And it all went wrong from there. And I I would love to get Brad's insight on that. But to me, what happened was turn 14, Hartley looks in his mirrors, doesn't see Gasly. Gasly's a long way back. He starts turning, but not too hard because he knows his teammates around somewhere. Gasly sees him lifting off and says, oh, he's left me the corner, drives way too fast into it. And then from there, you've got a big fat kaboom. Classic miscommunication,
4: misunderstanding amongst teammates.
2: All right, then should we just have an early, whose fault is this then, Bradley?
4: Okay. Um, so I've, I've also listened to the interview with the drivers. I heard, I heard both of their opinions after the race. And and I think what Matt's just described there is pretty accurate. I think Hartley was, um, you know, it was about to let Gasly through. He, he looked in his mirrors and realized, oh, Gasly's a bit too far back. And, you know, he doesn't want to just completely ruin his own race as well. So he's still going to let him through, but maybe not at this corner right now. And goes a little wide, Gasly's still not there. And Gasly just assumed whatever happens, he's letting me through at this corner and went for this crazy dive. And I'm pretty sure, uh, having watched it back a few times, even if you were told your teammate was letting you through, I think at the point he attempted to go for it, it wasn't on. It, it just He was just not close enough to make it work. And um, so I'm going to lay the fault um, at Gasly. that one i'm afraid okay
2: and that brings us to the safety car coming out and we'll we'll cover the rest of where the race was won and lost as we go through a little bit later the six drivers who could have won this race but for now let's just catch up with brad Hey, Mr. Philpot, you're becoming a bit of a feature on Missed Apex Podcast this year, more so than last year. You are, of course, a professional racing driver. You've uh, you famously, on TV, uh, beat Sebastian Vettel in a skills challenge in the Race of Champions, and now you are driving in VLN Series for Peugeot.
4: Yeah, I just come back uh, on Missed Apex because you big me up every time, and I just, I like it. It's, it's all about ego. It me feel warm and fuzzy. Um yeah, so I'm racing in the VLN Championship this year, um, was last year as well. Um, for those of you who listen every week, my position hasn't changed since last week. I'm still waiting for the third race of the season because our car got a bit broken at the first one. Um, <laughs> Who's so I'm sat it? here. Uh, that f- it? That was the fault of a parts supplier. So <laughs> it, um, it wasn't um, a human, uh, a driver's fault. That looked that like an, and, um, a
2: nightmare to have a brake disc fail around the Nordschleife and must be terrifying.
4: Yeah. And this kind of thing has happened um, often. When I've been to the Nordside, I've had a lot of races where either my teammate has crashed before I've had a chance to turn a wheel or an engine has blown up before I've got in the car. I've done maybe four or five trips to Germany where I haven't even driven one lap in in any session. (laughs) Uh, And this was unfortunately another one. Um, But fortunately, the season is long. Um, there's seven counting rounds and we're going to be doing seven of them. So we can still win. So that's what's happening with me, waiting for the race.
2: And I must say thank you for the couple of invites you've given me to join you for the weekend out in Germany. And I have to say, the body is willing, but the wife, the looks, the daggers she gives me when I say, can I disappear off to the weekend and leave you with the kids so I can go and watch motorcars in Germany? So as soon as I can build up enough husband credits, I'm there.
4: Um, and that look that you're describing is the one that I get when I say, Darling, I'm just gonna go and sit in the garage and talk to my friends on the internet um to do the, the motorsport podcast that I tell you about. Um and I just want to answer a question from the chat room. No, I wasn't driving. Um I, I'm not ever the one driving when the car um has a problem or an accident. Almost never.
2: Touchwood. Uh, And I just want to tell you about our friends at Speed of Sight that we talked about in the intro. Speed of Sight is a motorsport charity providing track day and off-road driving experiences to blind and disabled people across the country. Uh, Brad, have you ever instructed a blind driver?
4: I haven't, but I know all about the guys from Speed of Sight. Um, One of my good friends was um, the original instructor for those guys. Um, And I I witnessed them quite often using Bedford Autodrome when I was working there um, doing some of their sessions. So um, I I, I really like the initiative and I've been involved in other similar things, not with blind drivers, but with um, uh, drivers who have lost limbs and that kind of thing. So I think it's a, a good Good thing to support.
2: It's fascinating. I'll read the rest of the blurb that Mike gave me through the use of dual-controlled lightweight two-seater sports cars, off-road dune buggies and professional race driver instruction. Speed of sight have so far delivered over 1,000 driving experiences to the less abled. Founded in 2012 by daredevil blind racing driver Mike Newman, Mike is the fastest blind driver in the world. Holder of nine Guinness World Records for blind driving speed records on land, sea and air. I cannot imagine the bravery that takes for more information i think just for curiosity for this amazing feat and to find out how to support an incredibly worthwhile and underrecognized motorsport charity please go to speedofsight.org
6: just want to say that is a wicked reference daredevil blind racing driver Come on. That's
2: awesome. Yes. Yeah. Superhero crossover. Nice. So, Matt, then, as we got to the pit stop, a topic we didn't cover just there in how the race was won or lost is Mercedes and Ferrari not pitting Hamilton and not pitting Vettel. Obviously, Bottas and Vettel were too far ahead. But I think I'm not alone in that when the safety car came out, and I will say that I am supporting Hamilton in general. I like him as a driver. I want the British driver to win. Um When the safety car came out, I was was like, yes, this is fantastic. Lewis Hamilton, softer, fresher, boots, go. And then he just kept driving down the straight. I was utterly bemused.
3: Uh, Baffled might be a better word. Uh, It did seem very confusing. Uh, it, It didn't make sense to me when I realized that he was eligible to have done this thing. And certainly when you heard him on the radio, you realized that, that he himself had some mild consternation about the strategic decision Mercedes had taken. But upon looking at all the available evidence, I think he was in a much less defensible position to be complaining about it than was uh, then perhaps would be Kimi Raikkonen. Because unlike Raikkonen, uh, Lewis had no fresh sets of soft tires left. He only had ultras. And, uh, and, a, and a set of mediums to go on to Kimi did have a fresh set of sauce. He could have been on, uh, that said he wound up on the podium. And that also maybe says a little bit about the pace of overall pace and compliancy of the Ferrari relative to the Mercedes.
4: I have to say I was in a similar position to spanners where I thought, um, I could be wrong here, but I think Hamilton probably should have just gone into the pits um but learning after the race about the the tire situation it gives a you know a little bit more background on on why mercedes might not have immediately jumped um to that decision and and there wasn't a massive amount of time to make the decision so you know sometimes discretion is the better part of valor um i think today i, I don't know what the better option would be whether on the used tires he had available whether it, he could have done uh, you know finished in a higher position
2: So uh, let's just let me clarify. Then he had a choice of staying out, which he did, or coming in for you the 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 softs that he had in Q two in the first run. Is that right?
4: I think so. Yeah. I I don't know uh, that Matt Matt will know the full details.
2: And it was that or brand new ultra softs, which he was garbage on in Q three.
4: Yeah, and that I don't think that was ever really an option. Um, Excuse the pun. (laughs)
3: Hey! <laughs> right so um used mediums uh use softs or used ultras and i actually went back and looked at his times from uh, free practice too when he ran on some use softs and they were all generally around the same pace he was running on his used mediums so it may just be that uh, he he might have been faster on the softs. He did run a fast lap, a 134, but that was at the beginning after a couple of slow laps. I'm not sure he had the pace uh, absent uh, fresh soft tires to have been able to run to the end and hang with the bulls. And that being the case, track position might have been the better choice. Uh, Total Wolf in a press conference afterwards uh, said exactly the opposite, said that, yeah, we should have pitted him, but it was not an obvious choice. Uh, like it was made out to be during the race.
6: Nick. Okay. So I just want to talk a little bit about the timing of when the safety car was called, because it is very crucial and we are getting many questions about it in the chat room, actually. So the, when the safety car was called, the first two runners, Seb and Valtteri were past pit and trade. It was too late for them. Now, Lewis and uh, Kimi were on the straight after the hairpin, and they had maybe a few moments to decide. And like Toto Wolf said after the race, yeah, we thought track position, we had a few seconds, we, we made the wrong decision, but it's easy to criticize after the fact. Now, uh, Max and Daniel were right around the turn 14 hairpin. So they obviously, being the furthest back, had the most time to make the decision, but even still, to do that double stack pit stop from calling it at the hairpin is beyond impressive, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, but wasn't Verstappen ahead of Hamilton? Hamilton came out behind him from his first pit stop, and that's what I'm remembering. Hamilton okay. was it was in uh, fourth, and and uh, it was Verstappen. It was Rick, Ricciardo who really had the the most time to have that choice be made.
6: And Mike, actually yeah. I'm sorry, you actually corrected me on that before the show and I went and made the same mistake again. <laughs> but it's, so Matt Matt is correct.
2: Uh don't worry. I don't listen to Matt either. The chat room saying Rob Graham says, I hate having a used soft. Don't get it. Uh Sam Whatley says pit wall to Lewis Hamilton, Lewis, you're gashing all these tires, relax. And it does come down to that. I know we're saying Lewis Hamilton had the the chance to come in. I the team made an active decision not to bring him in. He could have come in and forced their hand to do it, but I think it just boils down to the fact that he didn't he didn't have the pace uh, to do anything in that situation. I think he was gonna end up at the tail end of that top six, whatever happened.
3: Yeah, well, and and you're looking at also the fact that I don't believe, and it's been put to me, that uh, either Mercedes or Ferrari were perhaps taking Red Bull as seriously as they ought to.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, no one was rating Red Bull uh, for that win. But also, I'm quite happy, as somebody who is supporting Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, I was quite happy for them to not be worried about Red Bull I was happy for them to say let Red Bull go and do what they're going to do even if they have a much better strategy they are racing Sebastian Vettel anyway so I think worst case scenario would be to be overly defensive and chasing down the Red Bulls and then lose ground in the title to Sebastian Vettel uh, over some needless battle with the Red Bulls who are who are gonna be pushing for a late second place at the end of the season not for the title
6: I think uh, Valteri was a little bit wiser in letting Daniel go through. Matt?
3: Yeah, and you were were correct about that. He was fighting or perhaps just returning the favor from the previous race. I don't know. But again, to me, really, the strategic miss seems to be on the Ferrari side with a a set of fresh sauce, with Raikkonen behind both Red Bulls,
1: and and with the call...
3: having gone out over team radio that they were both coming in. I mean, Ferrari had a a excellent opportunity to really put Mercedes into a bind by putting Raikkonen on fresh, soft tires to to hang with the Red Bulls. And now, as it was, he finished on the podium. So it, again, it may be just that they had got the call right enough and they just wanted him on the podium. And Vettel, it was too late to do anything about. Maybe it was easier to keep him apart that way. But Brad, what do
4: you think? Um I'm actually going to just comment on something I've seen in the the chat room quite a lot and I think probably a lot of listeners will be um shouting at their um their podcast uh, device asking the same thing. People are asking why didn't um the safety car come out um at a different time? Why did the uh why did race control not allow the safety car to come out um which would give a fair shot for everybody to to maybe have a pit stop. And I was just wondering what everyone else thinks about that before i chime in with with my thoughts uh,
6: my initial opinion is that if a safety car is necessary then obviously it should be deployed as soon as possible waiting for somebody to circle back around so as not to affect the race uh, is not safe
4: and i think i'd have to agree with that I, my personal view is race control shouldn't um, choose a particular time when they deploy a safety car. They deploy it when it's needed. And if that helps you, great. If it doesn't help you, then suck it up, basically. That's just how it is. That's no, really no, I disagree. And
6: Charlie, and Charlie Whiting said the to that effect, basically. I, I disagree. I think
2: what you should do every time is wait for Sebastian Vettel to pass and give Lewis Hamilton the opportunity to come in and, and then get on with it, which is how it absolutely worked out. Uh, let's talk about the tracks a little bit. Um, the modern track delivers again. I've always loved this track. I know people don't like the tink, drones, but certainly playing this game on a, on playing this track on a game is fun. Um, the racing always seems to be good. It seems to suit the modern car. And when you see races like Bahrain and you see races like this, I know it's sacrilege, but I feel like saying, right, let's just say we'll either have these modern tracks and get rid of the old tracks unless they can modernize and bring themselves up to the same standard. And it will hurt a lot of people, but I'd rather be here. And I'd even rather be in Abu Dhabi than in Barcelona, Monaco and Hungary. As great as those tracks are, they're from another time. Hungary is a queue, uh, is Monaco without barriers. Barcelona is always the race that gives us frustrated comments from drivers, Brad, where they say, yeah, well, it was Barcelona. I couldn't pass. That's not the sport we want, surely.
4: In my um, view, the sport is... Uh, about who can score the most points over a season. And the season involves going to various different types of tracks, some of which will be conducive to good racing, some of which won't be. Um, But I don't think the point of the championship is to guarantee that we get a crazy exciting race that's brilliant for overtaking at every single um, event. I think that the variation of tracks, some which are difficult to pass on, some which are easy, some which are really different like a Monaco and and a Monza, um, I, I think that variation is part of the championship and it makes us appreciate the tracks which are particularly good for overtaking even more.
5: If I've learned anything from the last seven days, it's that the best thing about Bahrain and China is that because they're super wide and because they're designed quite similarly with an overtaking spot um into turn one and then the car that gets overtaken can kind of fight back into the next complex. The fact that they have multiple racing lines really works for the spectacle. Um They don't seem to suffer as much in this era of complex aerodynamics and dirty air. Um, And naturally, they end up producing very good racing. At the same time, though, I do love Barcelona. and I love Hungary. It's just the cars are the problem. But I love those circuits. They've got brilliant corners.
3: LGH in the chat room makes the excellent point that one of the problems with these cars is that they have gotten very, very, very wide. And that is absolutely something that upcoming regulations can indeed address.
2: Uh, Avi says Monaco is just a track to make McLaren feel good about themselves until they blow out. But, you know, the cars are what the cars are. Are we seriously saying we need to roll back the cars, Matt, to a time long gone just so we can preserve these old tracks?
3: Well, you know, it's a funny thing. If you did that, people would just complain about how slow they were.
2: Funny that, isn't it? Let's just talk about this particular track then, Bradley. As a racing guy, do you like the racing this track delivers?
4: yes um in short i think it offers it offers really interesting racing because if a driver is forced to defend for a certain corner um it keeps the driver in behind in the hunt at the next corner and there's various switchbacks and you know lots of interesting overtaking moves and lots of varied chances around the lap to make a pass
6: so when um daniel finally passed Valtteri at the end first of all It was before DRS was re-enabled, which was great. So the tire delta was sufficient enough that he could pass that DRS. And then even as much slower as Kimmy was, he considered fighting back and trying to get the position back until he realized that he better get out of the way of his own teammate, you know, unless he wants to get the pink slip, probably. (laughs) Okay, guys, look, let's
2: go on to this little topic that I've got here, which is a list of people that could have won the race. So the top six all could have won. Lewis Hamilton, it feels like he could have won it on any other day, but this wasn't his day. Brad, where was his pace today? Am I anywhere close when I'm saying that I think Lewis Hamilton drives as if he has the perfect car and the perfect setup because that's what he wants and that's how he's best. Uh, And when he hasn't found that groove, he doesn't have a plan B.
4: I'm sure it's a lot more nuanced than that and I'm sure he's doing you know numerous things to compensate for whatever the car's handling deficiencies are at any given time um but i think as a general rule you're somewhere right there um he he we all know he has these kind of off weekends and i don't know why it is i'm sure it's just well i'm not sure of anything actually i just it's something that um i think will he'll go down in history in formula 1 history as one of his weaknesses um and he he's not invincible Um, but then there will be two thirds of the weekends where he seems invincible. So uh, that's my view. I don't know why he, why he had this off weekend in Shanghai. Yeah. But is it just
3: Shanghai? This is my question. And now I'm, I'm beginning to wonder a bit because it's not like he outqualified, but has last week in Bahrain either. Now, granted with the podium, but you know, there, there was, there was an amount of, um, there was an amount of luck, or did he wind over the podium last week? Anyway, he he did about as well as he could have been expected to do. Um, but if you look at his performance outside of Australia, really, he has not looked like he and the car have gotten on very well. And at this point, I'm just going to point out briefly, based on my pre-race lecture, that this is the first car that has been developed to try and suit both Botas and Hamilton. Last year's car was basically designed for Lewis and no one else, because Rosberg was on his way out the door. Bottas has had some input into this. They've had a year of listening to him say, this is what's really hard for me to deal with. And they may have changed their design to try and give them a car that can go both directions for both of their drivers. And I'm just wondering if that's left him in a little bit of a maze or a thicket with regards to those final tiny tenths of a percentage point on his setup.
2: Well, Anil uh, Hansink in the chat room says, after qualifying yesterday, I felt Lewis became discouraged. Baha Matiamat in the chat room, who is a fierce Lewis Hamilton supporter, says, nah, Lewis is driving poorly this year. Is it as simple as that? He's just, just not doing well.
5: If you look back to Lewis, even before he joined Mercedes, he's more than capable of being blisteringly fast one weekend and having a completely average weekend. We saw it for years when he was at McLaren. Um, the timing of this has been quite strange because he kind of retaliated about a comment that Rosberg made about him, how he could be inconsistent. And as soon as Rosberg said that, Lewis just seems to really be struggling with the car. Um, I just wonder if you know, last year they called the car a diva because, at you know, three or four races Lewis struggled compared to Bottas. This car seems to be much more of a diva than last year's one. And, you know, we're going to Baku next, much softer times. We're going earlier in the year. It's quite chilly there this time of year. I just wonder, is it just the tyres? it a, Or as Matt has suggested, is it a fundament, Is it fundamentally the DNA of that car does not suit Lewis and he's not able to drive around the issue? Because um, as we saw in Australia, he was incredible. You know, that lap was the best qualifying lap I've seen for him for years. And now he just that isn't that same driver. I don't know what, what's happened to him.
2: So in the patron slack group... Um, they've been discussing Lewis and uh, Valtteri Bottas and saying that Valtteri Bottas seems reasonably consistent. And it seems that when Lewis Hamilton is struggling like this, what we see is uh, Bottas still kind of chugging on at his same pace. And we're wondering whether you can tell the Mercedes true pace by adding about four tenths to Valtteri Bottas's, uh lap time and general pace, Brad.
4: I think that's probably true when Hamilton has it all hooked up. Um, but I think, I think you're right. There's Bottas seems to be, he seems to be more consistent around his ideal level, you know, whether that's a few tenths off of what Hamilton's ultimate potential is. Um, but over the course of this season with a few more cars getting in the mix, if Hamilton has these weekends where, you know, he's, he's looking like he could be on for fifth or sixth because of the performance of some of the other cars around and Bottas is solidly, you know, kind of getting on with it, maybe not winning, but he's you know, he's on the podium or, uh, you know, outqualifies Hamilton by a hundredth here or there. Is that going to be, is he going to outscore him over the season? Because when the car was more dominant or when it, when Mercedes had a larger gap to the cars behind, he could afford to be slightly off yeah. uh, on a, on a dodgy weekend and still score very highly. Um,
2: Yeah. What do you think? Don't, don't panic. Don't panic. (laughs) You know, I think to say that, suggest that Hamilton is going to lose out to Bottas is extreme. I, at this point, I cannot see that happening. Uh, but today Bottas, I feel had great pace. I know that you guys are going to argue with me, particularly you and Neil, but I think that Bottas Mercedes was the fastest driver car combination this weekend. And had it not been for the safety car robbing, uh, Valtteri Bottas, this was his
5: race to win. I think it was nip and tuck and if the I think Ferrari may have been faster but potentially only by a tenth or so and the only reason I say that is you only have to look at how close Vettel was when he was chasing down Bottas now Bottas may have been able to chase Vettel down uh, much more in that first in maybe he was looking after the tyres looking after fuel we don't know Um, but either way on that tyre I think there was only a tenth or or so either way I don't think it's oh the Ferrari was a second clear now I think it's The margins are much, much smaller in race trim.
6: So I'm going to agree with Spanners a little bit. I think Valtteri had pretty much a faultless weekend. I'm not sure. I'm sitting over here kind of wondering what it is that he needs to do to be rated as having a good weekend as opposed to just saying, well, Lewis was off. And I'm not arguing that Lewis wasn't off and nor was Lewis. I just think Valtteri did everything that he could have done, and he was on pace to potentially win. I do think that Seb would have had a go at him. I don't know if he would have made the move, but we were kind of robbed of that a little bit with the safety car. What we got was much better, but um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we didn't get to see that play out like in, say, Russia last year.
2: All right, the next driver who could have won, Max Verstappen. I'm going to direct this straight at you, Bradley Philpott, because I know you're not as harsh on him as everybody else is. Let's be fair. The lad has had an absolute shocker. He was leading the Red Bulls. They had the best strategy. He should have been out there eight seconds ahead of Bottas on the top step of the podium winning today. He absolutely threw it away.
4: I think you can make a very strong case um, for saying that he should have won the race today. Um, you're right. He was ahead of, um, he was ahead of his teammate and, and did throw it away through an unforced error. But how good would that move have been around the outside of <laughs> Hamilton if it had worked? And I think this is this is still a driver who, you know, he's still learning a little bit. He's not perfect. He's extremely good. And he's making the occasional mistake. But, you know, when you're as fast as he is, you can get away with some of these errors. And, you know, it's not going to affect his career too much. I mean, Obviously, I'm just talking about that first mistake he made. We'll get on to his Vettel um, scenario a little bit later.
2: Yeah, Matt, we should uh, assign blame for whose fault is this for that incident between Max and Hamilton.
3: Right. We probably should. But I will simply make the point that Vettel made uh, post-race, which is, he may be a kid, but he's a kid with 4 years of experience in the sport. And it, it was a bit uh I mean, yeah, that's his brief. Yeah, that's who he is. Yeah, that's his brand. But it, it was it was a little bit amateur hour, not so much the conflict with Hamilton, but subsequently it just was a series of slightly poor decisions. And and the difference between being someone in the hunt for the world championship and being someone who has a reputation of being really fast and aggressive, uh, very much played out as the difference between uh, Verstappen and Ricciardo.
2: So then that incident where Verstappen tried to go around the outside, Brad, this is afters from Bahrain, isn't it? Now, Max knew this time that Lewis Hamilton wasn't in the mood to yield to Max Verstappen, whatever the scenario. Obviously, we saw that he held his ground last week and just let Verstappen run into him. This week, he's seeing Lewis Hamilton Taking the racing line out wide, and he's just gone. Nope, and he's jumped out the way.
4: I think this is a little bit of a different situation to last week. This isn't one driver driving another one off the track. Max was going for a very unusual all the way around the outside at uh, that particular corner pass, and there have been plenty of times in the past where we've, we've watched Verstappen, and as the move is happening, we've been thinking this isn't going to work, particularly in the wet. Um, and it could have, it could have worked. Um, I just think he had a moment of snap over steer as Hamilton was running wide. It, it was nothing heinous, nothing particularly bad. It's just a more pragmatic driver like his teammate would have potentially thought the race is st- for the winners on here and not fallen off the side of the track. Right. So I would like to revisit Conspiracy
3: Corner. Last week, Verstappen ran Hamilton out of room, except for Hamilton didn't move, so there was a collision. This week, Verstappen around the outside, and I know on TV... Basically, they said it almost seemed like Hamilton was napping and my little conspiracy brain turned on and said, or maybe he was just suckering him into a move where he knew he could shut it down. And and I know it was snap oversteer, but the snap oversteer came after Hamilton started drifting wide as Verstappen was making for the apex. And that's what sent him off the track. And I just wonder if it was just like a, okay, yeah, well, maybe you have a few things left to your, left to learn, young Jedi.
2: Well, we saw kind Hamilton of, do wow. that in the dip, didn't we, at Spa on the uh, on the straight up Blanchimont, where he lifted to make sure that Sebastian Vettel couldn't get a run down to the next corner. So we know Hamilton has that kind of racecraft. But if we go to the next people who could have won the races, that both Ferraris could have won. Uh, speaking to Nick and Neil here, I'm sure they will both be equally disappointed. And Neil, as a Kimi Räikkönen fan, and Nick, as a Sebastian Vettel fan, Um he pitted too late to avoid that undercut. The undercut was always on. You must be disappointed because that is another race that he could have won. He could be leaving here with 150 points. Right. Uh No, 75 points. Yes, I know that's how that works. Maths, yep. oh, maths yeah. is hard. Nick, numbers Alexander to the rescue of again. all the people he he has... to make that mistake to an accountant.
6: Unbelievable, unbelievable. Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry, I was no. Nope. You, you just you just sit it there and struggle. Was about the undercut. So I, we got this question in the chat room a little bit earlier of why did Sebastian wait two laps after Bottas pitted to come in, and in fact he only waited one lap, um, and we. Thought it was, or I thought it was two even before the race, and I went to the Pirelli Twitter to see the official pit stop times to confirm that he only did one more lap than Bottas. So, yes, it was very confusing when Valtteri came out in front. It felt like the reverse of the Hamilton-Australia situation. I was expecting Sebastian to get on the radio with Ferrari and say, guys, what just happened?
2: And then going over to the other side of that garage, Anil Kimi Räikkönen was on for a win today. He ended up third, despite the fact that he was, he was absolutely used as bait to slow down Bottas just for a tiny, tiny bit. There's no doubt whatsoever now that Kimi Räikkönen is just there to do the bidding of Sebastian Vettel. That's gotta be gutting.
5: Well, he ended up in the same type of situation that Hamilton was in in Bahrain, where he was just left. So he was left out really long. And then as soon as the leaders caught him, they box him. Um, but what made it even worse than that was the fact that they didn't box him for softs at the end. Like that, 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 ah, uh, a part of me thinks that the reason why they didn't put softs on him was because it might end up giving him an advantage. If he ended up catching Seb, if you look at the end of the race, yeah. he was really, yeah. really close to yeah. overtaking Bottas. And that was whilst he was on older, medium tires. If he had softs, he would have gone past, um, Bottas just as Ricardo did. It would have been Rikkonen versus Ricardo for the win. And, I just feel Ferrari were just like, like, mm, "Well, we want Seb to get as many points as possible." Kimi, how about you? Um, how about you stay out and we don't give you a set us off? So he was shafted twice.
2: Uh, what about if Kimi Raikkonen had that been a genuine strategy and he was just trying to go very long on that pace? What if he had managed to hold out until that safety car?
5: Right, a bit like what Vettel what happened to Vettel in Australia, and all of a sudden it's oh yeah, I, I fluked into it. Um. The thing is, and this is slightly different to what happened to Hamilton and Bahrain or again Vettel, because Kimi didn't just stay out long. He lost places to other cars. He didn't just get undercut by, I think it was Hamilton. He also lost a place to a Red Bull. So he was going backwards. So uh, he clearly wasn't very happy when they spoke to him. It was like the least enthusiastic podium I've ever seen, which is saying a lot because Kimi hates the podium.
2: Oh, it's the worst I don't know why ever. the fans love him, but... The Chinese fans seemed to absolutely love what was essentially um, a meat a cardboard cutout. Uh, go on, then, Nick. Last point on this before we go to finish off. Whose fault is this?
6: Sure. So, you've asked me on previous race reviews whether I felt like Ferrari were completely screwing over Kimi with his strategy. And I've been like, oh, no, you know, I'm not sure. I think, so. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is totally him getting screwed over. It. And I just want to make one completely off topic point about Silly Season after daniel won they were talking about him sending his resume to mercedes sending his resume to ferrari if you were daniel would you want kimmy's seat
2: no oh no i don't i think that's yeah. probably
6: the worst
2: seat out of the top six that's the one where you genuinely won't get given a chance to race so no absolutely okay. not uh we've got a few whose fault is this is to race through and i'm just going to pick one or two of you to comment on that rather than giving the full jury so be gentle with your decision because you are the sole arbiter of whose fault this is. Uh, let's go to Max Verstappen versus Sebastian Vettel. That's quite funny. Bradley Philpott, tell me what's going on there because it didn't look like Sebastian Vettel was set up to fight him, but he just hit him anyway. <laughs> He's like, yep, on oh. on you go. No, I'm still going to hit you. Yeah, I,
4: I. this one makes me sad because... You know, as Vettel said after the race, he was going to let him through anyway. Didn't need to go for anything rash. But I have to say, I don't want to crucify Max like a lot of other people do. It wasn't a crazy torpedo style lunge. He went for, you know, the move could have been on. He just misjudged his speed slightly or locked, you know, locked the rears, as he said. Hmm. And he ended up running wider than he intended. He didn't mean to end up crashing into Vettel if he'd have managed to park it on the apex and make the corner would have been a decent move. It just didn't come off in this situation. And it's probably just, you know, heat of the moment trying to make up for an earlier mistake. You know, I don't think it was a heinous crime. And I think he did the right thing in apologizing immediately afterwards. And it's his fault.
2: Well, I don't like that answer. So I'm going to go to trumpets to see if I get a better one.
4: I was going to say, dare I say he, uh,
3: quote, missed the apex as he he most literally did. If you saw the onboards, as I happened to get a chance to look back at them, it's clear that he had understeer and it's clear that he tried to correct it and it's clear that he was unable to do so. And 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 I would concur with Brad. Yes, it's his fault, but the only mistake was a very slight misjudgment of his entry speed to that corner. Vettel wasn't Vettel left him plenty of room. He was on for for nipping the apex and getting around him. He just misjudged it slightly um on his brand new soft
4: tires. I was just going to say I think Vettel by running a bit wide, running a bit deep and kind of making a mistake, lulled him into going for a move. I don't know whether he even would have gone for it if Vettel had absolutely made the corner, made his breaking point and got to the apex properly. Vettel ran a bit deep. And I think Verstappen thought, I'll do it. And he kind of, he didn't have his um, thinking cap on. So now you're saying it's Vettel's fault. We have a Vettel. We have a Vettel.
2: No way. You're twisting my words. Okay, Gasly versus Hartley. Hands up. Who wants to be the sole arbiter of whose fault this was? Because this is a comedy of errors. Uh, Okay, then it goes down to me then. I think, oh, go on then, Matt. Whose fault is it? Gasly or Hartley?
3: Not friends toast. Team orders. (laughs) They should have done a better job.
2: Uh, Yeah, why not? And who have got here? Oh, yeah. Fernando versus Sebastian. Uh, That was quite funny. How happy were you, Bradley, to see uh, Fernando Alonso? Dicing with Sebastian Vettel at the end of the race. Presumably, we haven't talked about this, presumably Vettel lost pace after that contact because that's the only reason he was dicing with that McLaren. Yes?
4: Yeah, he said the car wasn't um, ever the same again. And I think the pace um, showed that, didn't it? Um, Alonso even said himself, it wasn't a fair fight, but he enjoyed it anyway. Um, I thought Vettel was very kind of sensible and level-headed in the way he discussed all these things afterwards. He kind of, he knew that um, the race was lost. Um, when things you know, when the safety car um, ruined things earlier on for him, mm-hmm. and he knew that the pace was gone when this car was damaged, he didn't seem to fight too much or or kind of make major mistakes
2: because of it. On that turn too, when Alonso cut his nose off, uh, do you, do you feel that's a fair move, or was that just Alonso being Alonso?
4: Um, I'm pretty sure I sent a message to our group saying, "Ooh, that was um, that was a little bit naughty" or something to that effect, but. I think he, he saw it coming, and he avoided contact, didn't he? So
3: Matt? Yeah, I will get out of the way real quick. But uh, regarding Vettel's car, uh, Summers tweeted out a uh, picture of the damage uh, to the floor, which I will call a barge board for his sake. And, and it was rather extensive, and he would have lost a significant amount of downforce and stability, and that's why he wound up where he was. That's why he was vulnerable to the world's slowest McLaren. that has uncovered wheels um uh, and i have to say boy do you think a picture of that move is going up on alonso's wall after the race
5: um even as a ferrari fan i take great pleasure in watching Flandre overtake seb um i love how Flandre clearly was just happy to fight force seb off the track and i love how seb very willingly just went yeah he's got me and just kind of throw it onto the grass um for me, though, that was kind of on the limit because Alonso could have left him more space. But I think I think it was pretty clear that Fernando just didn't care and was kind of happy to just gamble. And he knew Seb was being conservative. I guess it comes down to like a racing mindset. He knew Seb just wanted to get to the end of the race. So he probably could be a little bit more cheeky. I don't know what Brad thinks about that. But to me, it just seemed like he knew he had the measure of Seb because Seb just needed to get to the checkered flag.
4: Yeah, I think there's a few drivers out there that understand um, that kind of thing. They know that they know who's playing the long game, and they know who needs instant results. And Alonso is definitely one of those.
2: Speaking of the long game, we've run very long, so let's go to the podium. I know Matt's never happy with me. When I go to the podium or when I try to move on, because he's always got a million other things to say, don't worry. We have a non-race weekend on Sunday where we're going to catch up with a lot of news. There's been regulation changes, especially the idea that we're going to get rid of certain fuel limits. So there's going to be loads to talk about next week as we look forward to Baku as well. Uh, But for now, uh, let's go to the podium and dish out some awards. Let's look at the thing of the weekend. Let's see, Matt Trumpets. who was your thing of the weekend?
3: Oh, it has to be uh, the mechanics at Red Bull Racing for getting that engine into Daniel Ricardo's car uh, in the close second. had to be (laughs) his ability to mysteriously break from insane distances into corners with those brand new soft tires, which, according to Summers, offer extra retardation
4: into the corner. Everybody should know this.
2: Bradley Philpott, who was your thing of the weekend or what was your thing of the weekend?
4: Uh, it's going to be a who, and this is going to be an unusual one. I think it's Valtteri Bottas because for the third weekend in four weekends, he's outperformed Lewis Hamilton. And I think you can argue that Hamilton takes his foot off the gas at the end of a season, but that's not Bottas's fault. He's, he's done the business and uh, I think he was a bit too hard on himself. He seemed very sad at the end of the race. And I don't think he needed to be. He out the supposed best driver in the world. And he's done it two races in a row. Didn't, so, didn't just outqualify
2: him. Didn't just outqualify him. Out-raced him. Uh, Out-everythinged yep. him this weekend. Yeah, it's, it's a good choice. And Neil Palmer, who is your thing of the weekend?
5: Well, I definitely can't give it to Bottas, given that me and Span spent last week criticizing him and saying he wasn't good enough. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say Daniel Ricciardo. His, the two overtakes he pulled off, the one on Hamilton, and, um, and then it was for Bottas for the lead. They were sublime, and we need more overtakes like that in Formula 1. I don't know how he does it without locking up, but they're they're just spectacular, and I, I think he's a great guy.
2: Interesting, though, as Bradley said last week, all the drivers now have more tools to tackle Bottas because they've seen what he's like in those certain situations. And would Daniel Ricciardo have made that move for the lead on anybody else? Would he have gone down the inside on Lewis Hamilton like that? Would Lewis Hamilton have given up? that position, or stopped defending to the right-hand side. Um, Not so sure. Nick numbers. Alexander, who's your thing of the weekend?
6: Person who finished in P6, Nico Hülkenberg. Seems like he's sticking his claim for best of the rest in a midfield that is anything but predictable. Is your German bias coming through, Nick? Sure. I also particularly liked a comment by Christian Horner. With about five laps to go, they asked him, uh, Sky Sports asked him, what are you going to do now? Are you just trying to manage the tires or the brakes? Or, or did you hear? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he says, we're going to clench our butt cheeks. <laughs> that cracked me up. I, very, I quite very
2: like that. good. In gone Bitter, it is my turn to give my thing of the weekend. And I will give it to Magnussen, who is starting to win that little personal battle with Roman Grosjean. And I, and I think if we give Magnussen a chance, he could be like a proper good feature of Formula 1 maybe not someone who's going to be a world champion but you might just see him in the next few years at some point pop up in a competitive car and start scoring podiums start mixing it up with people and start making F1 pay attention to him unfortunately it's the bad thing next oh no you missed the apex so this is the bad this is the opposite of the good thing it's a bad thing Bradley Philpot. who missed the apex for you Um
4: I'm going to go for uh let's go for Roman Grosjean um, I, I really rated him kind of on a par with Magnuson and Magnuson's eking out these results, as you say, that, uh, that are making me think Magnuson's better.
2: How old is Grosjean now? Early thirties, late twenties. So, so you're also early thirties, Brad. Have you started to feel your racing powers diminishing?
4: Unfortunately, in GT racing or, or touring car <laughs> racing, there are drivers who are still considered in their prime into their fifties. So, um, I've got a few... Decades left to go yet, so I'm I'm still um, improving. I'm getting better.
2: Fair enough, I believe you, uh, Matt Trumpets. Who missed the apex for you?
4: Uh, I'm gonna ignore that. Did, did you say '50s,
3: Brad? That means I still have a shot.
2: <laughs> well, absolutely. Uh, yeah, on a bicycle, maybe, Matt, on a bicycle.
3: On a bike, yes. Well, um for me, the person who missed the apex is a person who literally missed the apex, and that would be Max Verstappen. He easy had it. All to gain, and he managed to lose most everything.
2: Ouch! And Neil Palmer, who missed the apex for you?
5: I'm going to go for Carlos Sainz, who is getting absolutely bullied by Holkenberg. Yeah, it's about twenty. He's twenty odd points behind Holkenberg in the standings. You know, this was a guy who we really rated as a future potential future world champion. Yeah, and he needs to be beating Holkenberg because if if he's getting beaten this badly, then it does not look promising.
2: Yeah, it's disappointing, obviously early in the season, but I really expected Sainz to go in there and kind of show up Holkenberg for having a bit of an inflated reputation, but that's not happening. Uh, let's see, who have we got now? Uh, Nick, numbers, Alexander, who missed the apex for you, buddy?
6: The number 16 car, Charles Leclerc. He oh, was no. not yeah. impressive this weekend. Had an off in qualifying, hitting a little bit of wet AstroTurf and had some sort of spin today in the race as well and finished last except for... Hartley, who retired. And he's up against a teammate who is not rated, we'll say.
2: Uh, We have one award left. Oh, no, I haven't done my missed Apex. Uh, My missed Apex award goes to Finland. You are on national television to 18 billion people. Like, just do something. I'm not saying you have to smile, look around, wave to a mechanic, anything. Like, yeah, I, I get it. You didn't win the race. You were second or third. But just... Nah, I just wanted to poke them with sticks. From now on, all drivers from Finland must send a proxy to the podium who is capable of at least imitating human characteristics. Uh, the Pony Award. Danny, I want a pony. And I want it now. Would anybody like to dish out a Pony Award? Uh, Matt, can you offer one? Uh,
3: Grosjean for being told to <laughs> give up his position. Ooh, he wasn't happy. and Ooh, no, no, no. Boy, was he all over the radio on that one.
5: And Neil Palmer. I also agree with that. He was complaining that it was, like, too early in the race to give his position up. But at the end of the day, if, the, if you're slow and the guy behind you is faster, it doesn't matter what lap it is. You just do what they say. It was different strategies, though. I mean,
3: you know, it was a no-brainer.
2: I like decisive action like that early in the race because uh, I think people are really scared of team orders and what they end up doing is they end up having a fast driver on an alternate strategy or just through pace being held up by their own teammate because they're scared of what everybody will say and I think that's good. If you've got one guy who's lapping at half a second faster, just get past him. Just get it done. I like that. They should also apply that to the championship as well. Any other ponies? No one going to give it to Sebastian Vettel, Brad? I wasn't
4: going to give it to Vettel. I was going to give it to Bottas actually, but it was probably for the same reason that you were suggesting Vettel. Um, I saw Bottas uh, complaining about the timing of the safety car and saying he couldn't understand why they didn't wait for uh, a time which would have benefited him. And I just think it's such an obvious answer that race control yeah. can't be sitting there thinking, Oh, hang on. If we bring the safety car out now, how's that going to affect Marcus Ericsson's race? You know, it's, they'd bring out what it needs to come out, you know, Just live with it if it doesn't benefit you. I just thought he he wasn't being very thoughtful um, in his comments about that after the race.
2: Can we point out, though, that Leclerc did actually beat Ericsson in qualifying? So, you know, the guy in his third race did beat Marcus Ericsson in qualifying. Because, you know, the Swedish population of our Slack group, I think there's three of them, were very vocal about the fact that maybe Ericsson's not that bad. I would say let's just wait. Let's be patient on that subject. Um, if there's no more ponies, I would like to thank the listeners for supporting us so much over the off-season as well. We've actually grown our audience over the off-season, which I'm absolutely delighted with. Be sure to follow our panel here. You've got Matt Trumpets, my co-host, at MattPT55. Follow me at SpannersReady and the show at Missed Apex f one Let's find out where we can find our panel. Bradley Philpott?
4: You can find me on Twitter at at Bradley Philpott uh, or on Facebook search for Bradley Philpot motorsport.
2: Yeah. You put cool little videos up as well.
4: Yeah. Um, on my YouTube channel, which is Brad dude, two K B R A D U D E two K. And I was, what? I think 16 or 17 when I made that. <laughs> I used to like the word dude and I still use that. And it was probably the year 2000. So, you know, it seemed sensible at the time. So Brad Dude 2K, I've got some cool videos on that channel.
2: It's quite aging. At work, I find myself still calling people dude and they look at me like I'm a dinosaur. Don't think the kids say that anymore. So when I ask Anil, Anil, fam, where can people find you on Twitter? Fam's right, yeah?
5: It is, bro. You you can find me on Twitter at AnilP228. Uh, I've seen a lot of People who listen to the podcast follow me recently, and I love it. I love talking about F1. So, yeah, give me a follow.
2: And Nick Numbers, Alexander, people can find you where all good
6: ledgers are sold. Yes, I am on the Twitters at NickAlexanderF1, and I have started writing some kind of opinion pieces for Summers at his website. yeah.
2: Yeah. Summers What's F1. going on here? So you're at
6: summersf1.co.uk. Matt trumpet's
2: race reviews are also at summersf onegouk You guys know yeah. we have a website, right? Right. If he rejects my article, I'll send it to you. <laughs> I don't want summer's cast-offs, uh, which reminds me, Matt, we must be due for a tech time at some point.
3: Uh, yeah, we are in negotiation. I have about four shows in the next two weeks that I'm recording. Oh, right. <laughs> it's getting kind of nuts. But yeah, we've been talking about getting uh, one up about the early updates on the season.
2: Good. Look forward to that. If you want to support us, consider going to patreon.com and searching for Mist Apex Podcast. You are having a massive impact on what we can do. And in the summer, I think you're going to see the real fruition of that. Uh, also consider buying a mug by going to Podcast.com forward slash buy stuff. Look forward to the Baku preview and news, until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was missed Apex. OK, I know it's a close competition, but my shed, with all my staff and lighting and equipment, does slightly beat a bogged-in motorhome in Cornwall. Just slightly edges it, Matt.
3: Yeah, I, I can I can I can completely and totally see that being the case. Uh I'm assuming you're coming to me because you want to talk about conversation of comment of the week.
2: I definitely remembered comment of the week. I was continuing our funny, funny skit where I pretend to forget it, but of course here's the button which I had ready. Comment of the week. I genuinely feel really bad when I forget Comment of the Week because we have had a huge, in fact, I'd say a record live stream and the comments have just been absolutely flying by faster than we could track them. But Comment of the Week is their chance to shine. Who is the winner this week? And in fact, what are the options?
3: We have Neuropean with, My name's Jean. I want the bony Montanar. <laughs> uh, not bad. Uh, Avi Avikash, who was seriously in it. He's got to be considered... Uh, Spinning it like a hot record, lads, Uh, referring to Charles Leclerc. Um, Sam Watley, God, Britney can do one. I take five stoic fins to one Rosberg any day of the week. Ooh, again, Avi, Monaco is just a track to make McLaren feel good about themselves until they blow out. Uh, Okay, only I thought that was funny. Apparently, uh, Neuropean, again, is Charlie Whiting asking himself, quote, what would fake Charlie Whiting do? With regards to the safety car.
4: Can I offer one? Yes, please do. I can't remember who it was, so they'll have to own up to it. But somebody said, um, Matt said Bottas instead of Bottas. Quick, somebody call an ambulance, which made Uh, me chuckle.
3: uh, That's a good one. We have Dakota. At what point does playing the long game turn into digging yourself into a Ferrari red hole? Which I I think is um, reasonable. Uh, Alan Green. Uh, This could be a real contender. Verstappen hits most apexes, but also too often anyone who is already on that spot.
2: (laughs) He doesn't care. I love it. Although, let's be fair. He was very introspective afterwards, but it did feel like he was saying the things that maybe he thought people would expect him to say after hitting everyone.
3: Yes. Uh, Tim Garbasiak. Is it bad that I just realized Anil's last name isn't Palmer?
2: Oh, no, don't. I've known Anil for four years now, and it was only about six months ago that I really registered that it's Palmer and not Palmer.
3: Right. We have um, uh, Motorsports Engineering uh, with Joe uh, replying to Artemy. Joe... And then at Arnemy EXO gets upgrades at the Spanish Grand Prix, followed by, I swear I am not drunk, followed by Sam Watley saying, not drunk, get out, which was just an entertaining bit of dialogue. So I got to shout that out.
2: Let's have and our winner. Ha- Come on. Let's have our winner, Matt.
3: Uh, winner's got to be green. Greens comment wins, whatever the heck it was. Verstappen hits most apexes, but also, too often, anyone who is already on
2: that spot. Congratulations. Feel free to add that to your Twitter bio. You are this week's winner of... Comment of the Week.